begin by looking in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Beginning in verse 40. Luke 22:40. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed and saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. <clears throat> then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony... He prayed more earnestly, and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping. And so, of course, we know that right after this, Jesus was arrested, he was crucified. After his trial, his resurrection, and everything that happened after that. It was God's will for him to suffer for everyone. And Jesus, he knew what was coming. And in the Garden of Gethsemane here, we sang the song, Lest We Forget Gethsemane, and the agony that Jesus went through before his actual suffering on the cross. And... And then his appeal to God, the Father, saying, you know, if this can, if I don't have to go through this, then there's another way. But he says, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And this statement of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. The Son of God submitted to the will of the Father. And this is our example, that no matter what, we're going to surrender to the will of the Father. And he will empower us to do so. That's why we are born of the Spirit, given the Holy Spirit, to empower us. Jesus told his disciples, don't, Go to preach the gospel until first you receive power on from on high, and then you will be my witnesses. But you see here, in this story of Jesus, absolute surrender. This message is about surrendering everything. And we read that in Matthew 13, in verse 40, Sorry, verse 44. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In these two parallel parables, Jesus is talking about something that a man finds. The first one is a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. I remember when I was a kid, we used to, we, we read the book Treasure Island about the buried treasure, and so we used to think, where would there be buried treasure? And we'd start digging holes in the, in the woods and everything, thinking maybe there'd be buried treasure here or something, you know? Well, this man found the buried treasure and says when he found it, he, he found it in this field. And when he found it, he took everything that he had and sold it and bought that field. Now, if he, found, if he went in the field and bought the field but didn't find the treasure, what would be the use in selling everything he had and buying it? There wouldn't be no use in it. But when he finds that treasure... Then he he find, finds that hidden treasure, he goes and sells it. The second one is similar, except in this one, it says it's like a merchant, a businessman who seeks great, he seeks uh, beautiful pearls. He's seeking something. And while he's seeking, he finds. He finds this pearl of great price. And he sells everything that he has so he can buy this pearl. And this is a message, Jesus says, about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That is like a man who finds this, that has this great discovery and when he makes this great discovery, he's all in. He sells everything that he's all in, a complete and absolute giving of everything to this discovery. Discovery is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe, is the power of God unto salvation. That is the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field. So from there, we go back to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14. Luke fourteen twenty seven. 
And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish? Left after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We must be like the man who was all in. He invested everything that he had in the treasure he discovered. That pearl, that treasure hidden in the field. That's what Jesus tells us. When we make a decision, when we believe this message, understand what it will cost. Forsake all that he has and not be my disciple. That's the cost Jesus was talking about. And what you see in this message is not that we have to sell everything we possess and go out and live in a field in a tent and then sell our tent too. What it's talking about is the level of commitment, the cost of our own will. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, let our, the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. That same mindset, not my will, but the Father's. We're forsaking our own will, our own way for the will of the Father, to follow Christ. If we don't forsake our own will, then we can't follow Christ. We can't follow both our will and the will of the Father. Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. We must make a decision of whom we will follow. And a similar passage in Luke chapter 9 says this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He said that after he was talking about his own crucifixion. Then he talked in his own cross, and then he talked about us carrying our cross. The death to ourselves, death to our will to follow Christ. So, well, that's really impossible to live the life of Jesus. In our own selves, of course it is. That is the whole purpose of Jesus telling his disciples, wait until you receive power, you receive the Holy Spirit, receive that power from on high. Jesus talked about, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Says he was talking about the Holy Spirit. That he would give to those who would believe. 
the message of Christ is not just a bunch of words, Paul said. It's in power also. It's in power. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And we ask the question, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to follow his teaching. It means to follow his life. It means to follow his example. Follow the way he lived. It's what the apostles, and you read about it in the book of Acts, that's what they do. They follow the life of Jesus. And many of them were put to death like Jesus. Some by the same court. So before we go any further, I want to take a, a step backwards into 1 Kings, chapter 20. And if you bear with me for a minute, you'll, you'll see why we're rereading this here. Beginning in verse 1, Now Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all of his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots, and went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Benadad, Your silver and your gold are mine, your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king... Just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. And thus, before we go on, you see the king, the kings of Syria demanding, says everything, you know, your wives, your gold, your silver, he says, your children, they're mine. He goes, okay, I surrender. All that stuff. I'm under submission to you. I'll do whatever you say. So, it seems like absolute surrender, doesn't it? But let's look a little further. In verse 5, Then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Benadad, saying, Indeed I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver, your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and your and the house of your servants, and that shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called by all the elders of the land, and said, Notice please, and seek how this man seeks trouble, for he sent to me for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold. I did not deny him. And all the people, the elders and all the people said to him, Don't listen or consent. Therefore he said to the messengers of Benadad, Tell my lord the king, All that you sent to, for, to me his servant, The first time I will do, But this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. And then Benadad sent to him, saying, The gods do so to me, And more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria, For a handful, for each of the people who follow me. 
So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. What does it mean for us? That's what we've been talking about. You see that Ahab was willing to surrender to a certain place and submit to the king of Syria to a certain place and to surrender so much and so far. But when he went really deep and said, I want everything. I want it all. He's like, oh no. And then he pushed back. And then the fight began. And it turned into a real battle. That battle is called the, the war between the flesh and the spirit. The war, the flesh takes against the spirit to absolute surrender in Christ. Radical? Fanatical? Some think so. If you think about the words we read concerning that Jesus said, exactly what he's talking about. And many in Christendom are willing to go so far. Kind of like Ahab was with Benadad. Yeah, I'll give you all this and that. But all? And a lot of times it's not even consciously done. There's something more, more so that goes on in the heart. Where there's a stiffness and hardness towards complete and absolute surrender to Christ. So, from there we go back to New Testament, 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. Sorry, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6 and verse 14. <clears throat> Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what fellowship or communion has light with darkness? And what fellowship or accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are all the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, brothers, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is a call to the life of Christ, a life of separation. When it talks about not having fellowship with unbelievers, it's a very serious thing. Because those who are in darkness are in darkness. And if we have fellowship with those in darkness, it'll draw, it can draw us into darkness. It's different than reaching out to those who are in darkness. 
But beyond that, it says that light and darkness have no nothing, no fellowship with one another. What fellowship is there between a believer and an unbeliever? What do they have in common? It says, "What accord? What does what does agreement has there between the temple of God and with idols?" We are in Christ, we are the temple of the living God. And to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? Therefore, come out from among them, be separate. Separation between light and darkness is commanded us who are in Christ. Not to have, uh, doesn't say we can't have a, uh, an outreach. We can't love those who are in darkness. doesn't say that. We can love those who are in darkness. We can reach out and, have, and be merciful and to, and to have uh, an open heart towards those who are in darkness. But that's different than fellowship and agreement. And to have intimacy with those who are in darkness. Because those who are in darkness are under, according to the Apostle John, are under Satan's influence. Apostle John said, we are of God, but the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. And when we're born in the Spirit, it says we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. It's two different kingdoms. He says, separate ourselves, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And so since we have this great, these great promises of God receiving us as sons and daughters, he said, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Complete separation, complete surrender, absolute surrender to Jesus as our Lord, our Master, our Savior. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? And don't do the things that I, I command you to do. If we embrace Jesus as Lord, then it says here, let us cleanse ourselves from all corruption, from all filthiness of flesh, our bodies, and outside and in, flesh and spirit, inside and out. An inner cleansing, which leads to an outer cleansing, a change of heart. And then perfecting that sanctification, that separation, that holiness in the fear of God. The fear of God, the beginning of wisdom. Living and walking in the fear of God. That let us make that, that decision of absolute surrender to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. A chapter back, chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, 
that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Not living for ourselves. Not living for our own will. That's what Jesus did. That was the pattern of life that we're to live after. Not to live for ourselves, but to live for Christ who gave his life for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, in these passages, it reflects on the same thing. That believing in Christ and accepting his lordship over us means exactly that. That he, he bought us with his blood. And we we given up our life to his lordship. We surrendered ourselves to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus. Because he bought us with his blood. And saved us with his blood. As a purchase And it says that we are the temple of God. And the old in the Old Testament, the first covenant, the temple was in Jerusalem. Big fancy temple. The temple was destroyed within one generation of Jesus, as Jesus prophesied about. No temple for the Jews to worship at, offer their sacrifices. Because Jesus offered his sacrifice of himself once for all. And it was finished. Jesus said it is finished right before he died. It's done once for all. The blood of Jesus satisfies God's judgment for sin, against sin. And then, instead of God's presence being in the temple in Jerusalem, He puts his presence in those who believe this message. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who believe in absolute surrender. They forsake all and follow him. He gives them the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Paul says in these passages we read, we now, in the new covenant, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. One of the prophecies about the new covenant is, is, is I will write my laws in their heart. In the book of Jeremiah. When he talks about the new covenant, I will make a new covenant. He says, I will write my laws in their heart. God will put his spirit in us. And so it is this message of being born of his Holy Spirit. And so it says, we are bought at a price. Therefore, Honor God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, inside and out. 
honor God in our hearts, not just a religious show on the outside. There must be a change on the inside, a change of heart on the inside. And that's what the new nature in the Spirit is all about. Being changed on the inside, as Jesus said. He talked about those who are in dead religion. He says they look all nice and clean on the outside, but he said on the inside, he says yours are dead. He said clean up the inside first, and behold, all things will be clean to you. So, in closing, a few thoughts. There was a man who was by the name of Samuel Brangle within the 1800s, and he wanted to join the Salvation Army movement. And he connected, went over to England and connected with William Booth, and he wrote a he wrote a story called, he wrote a book called The Man God Uses. And an excerpt from it says this, God is using everyone he can to the extent that he can. And it's all, in summing it up, he says it's all in the amount that we're surrendered to him. It's to the amount that he can use us. And so, we often pray, God, Please use us more, or use you know use us in a more meaningful way. But it has a lot to do with our surrender to Him, not just on the outside, but on the inside. The holding back from absolute surrender, that fight that we have between the flesh and the spirit, to be all in as disciples of Christ. Not condemnation from the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit challenges us in these scriptures that we've read. Zacchaeus. Jesus came to him. He's a tax collector, a known sinner. He's standing up in a tree because he hears Jesus is coming by. He can't see him because he's too short. Jesus stops right where he is. No accident, no coincidence. He stops right where Zacchaeus is, looks up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your house to eat today. And all the religious people grumbled. He's going to eat that sinner's house. But he gets to that sinner's house and he sits down at the table with that sinner and he's eating a feast with that, that sinner and all the sinner's friends who are sinners and are sitting there and as the religious people are grumbling because he's eating at their house, Jesus uh, heard Zacchaeus say this. He says, Lord, he says, if I've cheated anybody, he says, I'm going to restore him four times as much as I've cheated him. Now, tax collectors were known cheats. And so he made a lot of his money off of cheating people as they collected taxes for the Romans. So they were hated. Is I'm going to restore him four times as much. The large sum of money. He says, but before I do that, I'm going to take half of what I have and give it to the poor. So first he, half of everything he owns, going to the poor. 
And then with what the other half that's left, he's I'm going to repay all the people I've ripped off. Four times as much. If I ripped them off a thousand dollars, I'm going to give them four thousand back, which was what the law commanded. The old covenant law. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this man's house. Absolute surrender to the Lordship of Christ and everything that it means. You see a changed heart, broken from the love of money and the dishonesty that he walked and lived in, the cheating he did other people. He said, Lord, today I'm surrendering to you in everything. Tax collector Matthew, another tax collector, Levi, he says, come and follow me. But he was at the tax collector booth making his fortune, ripping other people off. It says, Matthew got up right then and there and he walked away and followed Jesus. Peter and Andrew, James and John, worked in their father's fishing business. Jesus says, come and follow me. He left all and followed him. What is Jesus saying to us? It's the attitude of the heart. That must change. To be a disciple of Jesus. To be all in and completely committed. To the life and the teachings. And the example of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit leads and guides and empowers us. We read the story in the book of Acts. Where a whole city is steeped in sorcery. And witchcraft and magic. And Paul comes in, or I think it was Apollos comes in there and preaches, or Paul, one of them. And it says the whole town, says they took all their books on sorcery and witchcraft and dark arts, they piled them in a big pile and set them on fire. It was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, a fortune. And they made a decision to follow Christ and became the church at Ephesus. A complete surrender. And a radical surrender to Christ. And it doesn't just happen on the first day we believe. It is something we continue and we grow and mature in. In the book of Romans it says that we should offer up our bodies a living sacrifice. It says... That we should offer it up so we might know and not conform ourselves to this world but be changed. So we might know the will of God. The perfect will of God for our life. God has a, a, a plan for our life. And the plan for our life that He has is perfect. The plan that we have for our life is corrupt. The plan that God has for our life is perfect. He says, if we offer up our bodies a living sacrifice and not conform ourselves to the way of the world, but to his way, the way of Christ, we'll know that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. That perfect way that God has. So our way better than that perfect way? No. Although some of us may not yet be convinced of that. And we refuse to let go of things. Materialism. Hobbies, entertainment, all these things that spending a lot of time with we could spend much better. Self-seeking. 
Just going on and on. There are things that we could be spending our times better with. Separated unto God. With the holiness. Pursue peace with all men and holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. The way of Christ is the way of holiness. No one, it says in Hebrews, no one who's not committed to it will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The pursuit of holiness. <clears throat> so, last week we talked about a life of prayer and faith and seeking God and our life in Christ. So, well, there seems to be something in the way. There seems to be resistance to me being all in and me really being having a, a life separated unto God. There is, certainly is something in the way. That's something that's in the way is us, our human nature, the old man. And as we read in Romans chapter 6, our old man was crucified with him, that we would no longer be slaves to the sin, the flesh. So, that's something as we open it up to others to comment on this or anything else. Uh, that's something that we have to wrestle with.